it blew out those that socket right here at the steeple. Had some stuff in the yard where it just splattered that stuff up. Shot through the church. Um, soundboard was fried. The computer was fried. The uh, light here on this end was fried. All of these lights were fried. These lights are acting crazy. These lights are jumping. All three projectors are out. Copier in the office. I understand this stuff off the top of my head. There's a there's that's the good news. Thank you, Father. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And so we've got all that stuff that was going on. And we had an electrician come in. The electrician basically told me that it was a blessing, is what she said, that we didn't burn down. And so I sent out a message that day. And we do thank God for that. Could have been worse. But just pray for us because it's, it's uh, just the aggravation of finding everything that's actually been damaged. And uh, so when we cut on some lights back there, we can still smell burning. So I'm going to get an electrician come in and make sure that we don't have some fried wiring going up in the attic there. So just pray that God will help us to be able to diagnose and find all of that. And uh, we'll get this thing back up and running like normal hopefully soon. And uh, for my nerves sake, anyhow, nothing at all. The Lord knows. Today's sermon may or, not, may or may not have been based on the fact that lightning hit the church, but I'm going to preach a sermon entitled Rebuilding the House of God. That, that's why I got to that. I don't know if it was, it was God or if it was just my flesh. I don't know what happened, but that's what I'm preaching. Ezra chapter 9, verse 9. The Bible said, When we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. Aren't you glad? I like the wording, we were slaves. That means we are no longer slaves. Our God did not forsake us when we were in our bondage, that he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. He revived us. He gave us the strength to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. I, I want you to go with me. We're, we're, we're in Jerusalem now. If I could take you for a little tour really quick this morning. And David is the king, and as you know, many times through the scripture, the Bible refers to the throne of David, the, 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 the Davidic uh, covenant that God made with David that he would rule uh, in Jerusalem. And, and, and literally, it's an epicenter for the world that people are coming and they are worshiping in Jerusalem. But, but this is after David, and, and, and this is in the Ezra, and then you're going into Nehemiah. When we walk through the Old Testament, we find that there is a destroyed city of Jerusalem. It is no longer... In its former glory, it is destroyed. They're, they are literally ruins on the hill. It is a testimony to the devastating power of a kingdom called Babylon that had came in and destroyed them. It is a grim testimony also of the devastating effects of when we disobey God, what God does. And this is what had happened. They rebelled against God. And hardly a stone remained atop another stone. The walls had been broken down. The gates have been charred the, with, with fire. A matter of fact, when you look in, there's litter and it's scattered everywhere in the city. This, this place that used to be a proud center of worship, a place that people could come to and they were proud when they walked into the city. But now there's litter everywhere on the streets and, and, and it's just a bunch of rubbish. This is what they are dealing with in the text that I've read to you today. This is the temple. This is what we know as the dwelling place of God, where God comes, where God lives, where God dwells. Now it is nothing more than a bunch of rubble. The structure is gone. The foundations have literally been torn up from the ground. There is no altar. There is no gold. Only refuse. 
In other words, there's nobody doing anything. And that's the problem. Is the city is laying in waste and everybody is just sitting there as if nothing has happened. Thank God for Nehemiah, and I'm not preaching on him today, but God gave Ezra and Nehemiah and some of these men of God a desire to rebuild the temple. No longer the proud city of David. No longer the center for true worship. It has been broken. It has been ruined. As I was reading that, I thought, my goodness, isn't this really what I see in our own? When we look at our nation, right? When we look at America, is that not what what, what is a good depiction of what America in a spiritual sense really looks like? We resemble the ruins of Jerusalem in our economic straits and in, in, in rising inflation with deficit spending that is through the roof, literally. And everybody's trying to figure out what do we do and the only solution we can come with is that we've got a money printing machine and we'll just keep printing money. But that's not the answer. It takes us into more and more deficit until after a while some generation is going to default on loans and somewhere down the line you're going to have an economy that is going to be bankrupt. The exponential growth of our trouble leaves us with really little hope of a bright tomorrow as far as a nation. The fire of immorality has burned the gates. When we look at the battering ram of conformity, it has breached our walls. No one is singing happy days are here again. Who would dare sing that for they would be labeled a fool? It is time that we face it, that the America that we once opened legislative, her, uh, judicial, all of our systems, we open them up with a word of prayer. That day is over, ladies and gentlemen. We might as well face it. That day is over. Now they're told we can't pray, but oh, we can't pray to one God. Well, I've got news from there's only one God, and his name is Jehovah Jireh. And I've got news from all of this in Washington, and that is this fact that when we were founded, do you know what we were founded on? On the fact that God is God, and in God we will trust. So when we go into deliberation, what do we do? We Of convenience. 
generation. Sacrifice often as the, as the price demanded for immorality and the freedom of lifestyle. This is what we have done. We have been raised, church, for such a time as this. This is what God has called us to do. He has called us to rebuild the church. See, I want you to understand something. We are all the time talking about, oh, the world needs this. The world needs that. I'm going to tell you something. I'm afraid that the church needs a few things. I mean, we can blame it on sinners all day long, but sinners are going to be sinners. Sinners are going to get cussing, and they're going to do everything else, and they're going to have immorality. That's what sinners do. They are not the hope of the world. They need Jesus just like you did one day. So what does the church need to do? It is time for the church to start rebuilding. I said it's time to start rebuilding. And I'm going to name a few things this morning that I think that we see in our text that they rebuild. We have been raised for such a time as this. How do we start the rebuilding process? The first thing they did in Ezra chapter 3 in our text, this is what they begin to do. They first off restored the altar. I'm learning something. I, I told you this has kind of been my motto for the last six months. Everything I do, everything I say, I have tried to do these three words. Keep it simple. That has been my heartbeat. People don't like complicated. They just like simple. And every time I think I just keep it simple. And when I read the Bible, I figure out that some of the basics that God presents to us as foundational stuff, do you understand that, to be honest with you, it's pretty simple stuff. Prayer is a pretty simple thing, right? I mean, how many of you know today, if, if you're a child of God, you're a Christian, how many of you know that you used to learn, now Lord, lay me down to sleep, I pray my Lord my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Anybody ever pray? Some of you 70 year olds, you still pray in there tonight, ain't you? Honey, if it worked when you were a baby, it'll still work today. Prayer. It seems too simple to be true. You need to tell me that the ills of this world can be cured and the ailments of this world can be cured by prayer. That's exactly what I'm telling you. You need to tell me that if we could just have a good prayer meeting, that things would change. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. That sounds too simple. I need you to get us a three, four page visionary statement. You gotta write this thing out word for word. No, honey, it doesn't take all that. All we gotta do is rebuild an altar, and things are going to start happening that we cannot even dream possible. Let me show you this. They rebuilt the altar. Too simple to be true. The Bible says that they came together, the one man. They all came to Jerusalem. A man named Jeshua, his brethren, the priests, the root of hell, which the Spirit of God came upon, and his brethren. They got together. The Bible said they arose and built the altar of the God of Israel. They did not rebuild the temple. They rebuilt the altar. Is everybody still with me? That means that the altar was more important to God than the building was. That's that's all I need to hear. That's powerful, I think. I mean, typically, if we're building a church, and we studied this on Wednesday night several, several months back, but typically when you build a church, right, you're going to lay a foundation, you're building these walls, and you're putting ceilings in, you don't want the rain to pour in, and then you're going to build the altar real pretty and nice, 
things different this time. I want you to build the altar and then we'll worry about the walls and we'll, we'll worry about the air conditioner. We'll worry about these nice little cues that you sit on and get all comfortable on and about fall asleep on. But first God said, let's build this altar and then we'll worry about that. The altar is that important message. Any religious movement, if it is of God, it will be centered at an altar first. The altar is the place where sin is dealt with. That is why we don't like altars. Because altars change us. We must rebuild the altar in our homes. We must rebuild the altar in the church. The altar. 
Lord. There are times that I'm a relic, and there's times that, that maybe even though I'm younger, I'm a dinosaur of sorts. I really am. Sometimes when it comes to Pentecostal, I'm, I'm like a younger man trapped in an old man's body. I know that. And I've got that in me, but I want you to know something I learned a long time ago. I still believe that there's a God that can do more at the altar in a few seconds than I can do in an hour sermon. I still believe that. Because the altar actually brings change. How I wish you could see. I wish you could see. Jeshua and Zerubbabel. As they are walking onto this temple site. They are marking off the site according to the records that they have found that the temple should be. When they find what they call the right spot, this is the perfect spot. They begin, number one, to clear away the rubble that is there. In other words, they start getting rid of the waste. Well, this is in the way, let me do it. In other words, they begin, they start decluttering. Has anybody ever had that in their life? When you walk into your life spiritually, you say, oh my God, I don't even have time to have a simple prayer this morning. I've got this to do and that to do. Do you know what that's called? That's called rubble. That's called rubbish. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul got so annoyed one day, he said it's like a bunch of dung. I count all of this other stuff as dung that I may know who Christ is. That I could have a relationship with Christ. That I could build an altar and talk to Christ. All this other stuff is junk. The men of God, they started moving all of that stuff. The priests, they don't allow anybody else to help. This is a personal thing. These are men that say this is our burden and we must bear it alone. They are sweating. They are choosing each stone possibly. I can see it even as if and these stones, you know, you had like a rock over years ago, you did. And a lot of them just little pebbles, right? And it's symbolic. But back in these days, buddy, they built altars that were monuments. And they would literally take stones and they'd carry them things. And they'd stack stones on one another. And they'd got this big old altar. It was not easy to build the altar. It was work. And I can see that the sweat is running down their face. But their sweat has mingled with their tears. And they begin to put this altar back together and say, God, we're so sorry that this thing got torn down. We can't wait to meet with you in this place again. There's a crowd that's gathered around the rubble for the first time. Jesus, Reuben, and 
Yeshua or Joshua as they're wrestling with these stones to put this order into its proper place. In this age of displaced manhood. In a day when we got boys swimming on girls' teams, I think they finally kicked them. They shit out, didn't they? Have a Kick them out. It's about time. It's funny whenever you be on the men's team and they tell you all they ranked, you know, whatever it was, 500, went to the women's side and ranked number one. If you ain't got brains to figure that out, there's something wrong with you. In the age of gender identity, when our men have become so infeminate, God help us. And they say, oh, well, this is just the way God made me. Let me tell you something. What we need in the home and what we need in our family is real men of God that will be men and build it all. That's what your children don't need, this infeminate mess running around. Honey, people, whatever you need to be. The only hope of the world is guess who? It is you 
Secondly, they reinstated true worship. And I don't have a time clock back there today. I'll look at my watch. I, I don't know how long I've been preaching. How long has it been? About five minutes. Thank y'all. <laughs> they reinstituted true worship. See, there's some good things about lightning strikes. Anyhow, despite their fear of the people around them, they built an altar. On the, on the foundation, they sacrificed for offerings to the Lord. The Bible said they did it both morning and evening. The Bible said the Feast of Tabernacle, that they brought kind of daily burnt offerings. They, they did it for each day. Can I tell somebody today that if you think true worship is you just coming to church to a worship service on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, you don't know what worship is. If we think that the only time we can worship God is when we come together, we are back. We are missing out on some great things that God wants to do for you all through the week. I want to tell you something, honey. This is not the only place I worship God. This thing is a daily sacrifice. This thing, the Bible said that they brought a sacrifice each and every day, put it on that altar just to show God that they were going to worship Him, that they were going to praise Him. Let me tell you the truth. It's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. This is just corporate worship. That's all this is. But personal worship is every single day. The Bible says afterwards they offer this burnt offering during the new moons and these appointed feasts that the Lord consecrated. And the Bible said, and those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord. That is a key word there. Free will offering. Do you know what a free will offering is? A free will offering is very simple. I'm going to keep it simple. A free will offering means nobody makes me do it. The song leader don't pump me up. Come on, people, let's worship him. The pastor doesn't pump me up and get in my emotions and, and get me to kicking and humping and bumping and coming to the altar to pray. Today I have come to offer a free will offering to the Lord. It does not matter what anybody says, what anybody does. I could care less. This service is not about you. This service is about Him. So today I have come to offer Him a free will offering. That means nobody is making me do it. Nobody is holding my hands and saying, you got to do it. Let me walk you through the step. Nobody's got a gun in my hand saying, if you don't worship, I'm going to shoot you. None of that's going on. Today
spend a lot of money in this place, got all this fixed. I'm not nervous on the edge because of my lecture. She said, we need to change all the lights. Somebody said, well, praise the Lord, but I'll be glad to give you new lights. But if they get one of these pew caps, I'll be in here guiding them. I'm like, all right. This is God's house. I'm not looking after it. I want to look good 10 years from now. That's just who I am. All right? I treat God's house better than I treat my house. And I treat my house pretty good. I'm telling you. What if I were to get this place and burn it down? What would we have done? What would we have done? Would we have tried to set up in the gym? Well, we just moved. Actually, the sound board that's back there uh, is actually from the gym. We don't have sound in the gym now. So we got burned up in the fire too, right? Let's say, let's say everything's gone. Let, let's say the gym's burned up. Let's say this fire just it was so hot and blazing, it jumped up. We ain't got nothing around here now except for the land that we own. Are y'all with me? You see the picture? That's what Jerusalem looks like. Now what am I going to do? Am I going to call you and say, all right, God, we're going to take off Sunday. I'm going to have to find a place for us to worship while we try to just get through this rush. How powerful would it be if I said, Brian, I need you to rent me one of them sound systems. One of them good sound systems. We're going to put it up there. We're going to build an altar. And I'm going to preach. Everybody's still with me. There's a few little seats. I didn't get burned out. Like, they're still laying around. We're sitting there trying to move everything out. We're trying to get a clear spot. Let's worship God. Let's say, can you imagine what that would be like? Do you think that's all we would have done?
Consecration simply means setting apart. In other words, I belong to Him. The charismatic movement has brought some wonderful fruit through the years. But the charismatic movement has also had some grievous blunders through the years. And I just hate that. Charismatic movement, back in the 90s, y'all remember that stuff was sleeping. I didn't, I didn't know the difference. I thought I was charismatic. I thought charismatic meant just to be charismatic. Y'all know what charismatic means, right? It means charismatic. You're excited. You're full of the gifts operating in the church. But man, it started getting tainted about being really immorality. About being that got money hungry. And I thought, I'm not mercy. And before we know it, we were selling holy water. Like I told you the other week. If I could get one person to drink this water this morning and they be healed, if I wanted to be really charismatic on the far left side, I would build a ministry around bottled water. Miracle water. I told you we would build a big water tower outside with stairs and offering box at the bottom that you have to give your admittance before you can get to the top. That means you've got to pay moolah to get your miracle. And the bigger your issue, the more you got to pay for it. Praise God. If it's a cold, we'll give you the, this bottom level. But now you get on the air that bad disease stuff, we're going to big money. What is expensive? And they started selling this site. I call it snake oil preachers. Absolutely ruined Pentecostal churches. It had people thinking that's the way the people that say they got the Holy Ghost off. I don't want nothing to do with it. God have mercy. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm going to tell you something. Send me money for your miracle. But I got to read in my Bible about the early church in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost is fallen. One of the first miracles that we see Peter and John doing. There's this man that's been sitting by the way and he's been begging for money all day long. And he starts shaking his hand. He says, hey, I want some arms. I want some arms. I thought, my goodness, if he'd have got, if, if he'd have got in Peter's blood and he thought I could make money out of this, he'd have said, if you don't give me that jar, I'll give you your miracle. Can y'all imagine? Well, what did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I am going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You rise up and you walk. I'm telling you, that is the kind of worship that God wants in his church again. We're not overcomplicating things. We just simply want to pray at the honor of God. We simply want to worship and celebrate Jesus. And that's when prepared man can happen. That's when the power of God can happen. That's when the gifts can operate in our churches again and fruit of the Spirit can be manifested. We have taught people well that worship is celebration, right? But we have not given equal time to teaching them. That worship is also sacrifice and consecration. It is sacrifice and consecration. True worship goes deep. So much of what passes as praise and worship, it really is only praise. Anybody can praise God. Right? Have I preached yet, God? I, I, I've got clothes. It's, it's getting too deep. Rocks can praise God. 
Your dog barking can praise God. Your birds in the morning on your bird feeder chirping can praise God. Praise the Bible says that everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. A sinner can praise God. A hypocrite can praise God. But worship is another level. There's only a certain group of people that can really worship. Because God said there's a coming day when you're not going to go to this temple or that temple. He told the woman. He said well, there's going to be a day that true worshipers are going to come together and they're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be superficial. It's not going to be a praise thing. There's going to be a change in their hearts. Watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm getting excited about this. It's exciting folks to praise. It helps people feel better to praise. That's why we pump up revivals. That's why we pump up camp meetings. God, I'm about jumped off the rocker this morning. I can't hardly get back on. We pump up these kids. Oh, you got to come to a free night meeting with an apostle, bishop, evangelist, missionary. Stop it already. The people of God gathered and they didn't even have any evangelists. All they had was an altar because they knew that's all they needed in true worship. And God would show up and show up. We build up these things because we know that when we get people there, we can get them pumped up, get them emotional, and get them to praise God. And I'm not knocking that. I think praise is a wonderful thing. But when Job had been through his trial, and he had lost everything he had, and he's like Jerusalem, and his house is in ashes, it's been burnt to the ground, his children are all dead, and he decides, I'm going to take my clothes off. I can't even wear normal clothes. I'm going to put on sackcloth, and I'm going to take the ash from the rubbish and the ruins, and I'm going to pour it on Because I can see it happening. I'm not blind. I see. 
generation says, we'll let, just keep hanging down the road, politicians do it all the time. Well, there'll be some new people coming in. We'll let them deal with it. It bothers me when generations begin to kick it down the car, down the court, down the road. And I said, let me tell you something. Oh, I know it's coming. I can see it. I'm not stupid. But you know what? My children can deal with that. My grandchildren, maybe they'll figure it. They're not going to figure it out. Because they haven't been where we've been. And they haven't felt what we've felt. And they have not seen what we have seen. And that is why I think that moment was so special. When some of them gray-haired people got around that altar for the first time in 70 years. You talk about worship. I can only imagine. And some of them little kids were thinking, man, I ain't never seen Grandma do that. I ain't never seen Grandma speak in tongues like that. I ain't never seen Grandma shout like that. I ain't never seen the head jerk and the bottom head fly like that before. I just lost half of you right there. You have no idea what I'm going to talk about. If you know the part of us in your time, yeah, I used to run down to the altar and grab them and try to get them back to Grandma. Do you see what I'm saying? Are y'all with me? Another generation is rising up. And when we have moments like, listen, some of you have never had to deal with, with, with an exorcism. You've never dealt with that. You've never dealt with the demonic spirit. You've never seen anything like that. Let's be honest. If somebody came forward today and started speaking in this growly man voice and it's a little lady, and we're trying to control her and hold her down. And she's taking our grown men, this insubmitted lady. And she's taking Byron here that looks like he's ready to play some football today. And he's holding her down. But he just gets thrown off of her. And we're thinking, how can this little lady throw that big man? But I've seen it. I've seen a little lady throw two big men that were laying on her arms. A matter of fact, she was only 16 years old. A teenager. And that demonic spirit gave her strength. Now we don't even realize how much power that the devil has. We can't fight. So for people that haven't seen that, if that happened right here, right now, some of you be like, oh my gosh, honey, get your bag, we get out of this place. Do you know why? Because we're getting to the stage that generation after generation is, is slipping. It's slipping. And what we used to see, and what we used to experience, and the power of God that we used to see move, and the, the power of deliverance, it's just not happening like it used to anymore. It would scare people to death because they don't know it. God help us not to kick a can down the road. Let us operate in function and look at hell. It didn't work back then, I promise you, it will still work now. 
Offer yourself in consecration, repentance, and brokenness. This is the soul that feeds the seed of revival. It is still the same. God gave us the recipe a long time ago. He said about people that are called by my name, if they would just humble themselves and get rid of their pride and get rid of their egotistical ways, if they would just humble themselves, fall on their face and pray and seek my face, if they would repent.
election date will be next Sunday. That is August the 20th. So if you are interested in filling out for that or being considered for that, today is your last day. I repeat, today at 12 o'clock, please don't text that late. I'm just kidding. Let me know today, all right, if you want to be considered for that. We've got the Gap Widows meeting that's going to be this coming Tuesday. It's going to be wonderful, August 15th at noon. The theme will be when life gives you lemons. Just make some lemonade. Speak for Terry Carolina. Going to have a menu of lemon pepper chicken, salad rolls, lemon desserts, and lemonade. Now y'all ready to go have some food, aren't you? Good God. Isn't God good, folks? Get that sandwich if you don't mind. Listen, we love you guys. We appreciate you. And uh, again, just pray for us this week. God help us. I see one of our roads are out. And uh, just pray that God will help us to get this thing handled the way it needs to be handled. And uh, we've got a wonderful insurance company, and they've just been so gracious to us in, in, in the process so far, and so we thank God for that. But uh, we're going to rebuild the house. But more important than rebuilding the house, let's remember the spiritual side. Rebuild that altar and rebuild and reinstitute that true worship. And I have two more today, all right? But I may give them to you next Sunday. Who you never know with them.